0: Turn with me to Daniel chapter seven as we continue to work through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter seven, I kind of went back and forth on how much to take of this chapter and what, how to handle it. I'm going to go ahead and take it in its entirety today, but then next week we'll be looking specifically at verses 13 and 14 and giving them a more specific treatment. But today we're going to be looking at Daniel 7, the entire chapter. Before we do so, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we come to a portion of your word that is altogether clear to you, but is really for us many times quite difficult. And we admit that the difficulty is on our end. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, that as we read your word, that as we hear your word, that it would be a blessing to us, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that we would clearly see the teaching of this text, and that you would change us by it that you would build us as a church according to this text, that you would draw us closer to yourself and to one another. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. As I came to Daniel 7, you know there's a lot of signs in this chapter, and it made me think, as we're doing, we had three baptisms today, as we have the Lord's Supper each week here, that we are regularly... uh, in confronted with signs in our lives as Christians, that the sacraments and the Lord's Supper and Baptism show us these signs and they call us to look to something beyond themselves. They point to something that has been done on our behalf. They're a sign and, and or a symbol of something greater, but they're also a seal or or a guarantee that an assurance of the promises that they claim to give us, that God The one who makes the promises to us is always right and good and forever keeps those promises to those whom they were made. Yet with each sacrament, with baptism, with the Lord's Supper, it's really easy to get, so to speak, into the weeds, into the minutiae, if you will. For baptism, for instance. Well, who do you baptize? How do you baptize them? Who can baptize them? In what setting should the baptism take place? For the Lord's Supper, grape juice or wine, unleavened bread or not. Who can take the Lord's Supper? Who should take the Lord's Supper? How often should we do it? Who can administer the Lord's Supper? And I just kind of skimmed the surface on the questions concerning the sacraments. But you get the idea. Before long, the actual sign and seal of the sacraments is lost or buried under a pile of questions. Those questions have answers. And at this church, we have particular answers to those questions. We don't see those questions as unimportant at all. In fact, we some of the answers to those questions are the distinctives of who we are as a church. But are they the most important things? No. They're side issues when compared to the greater teaching that the sacraments have for us as a church. So when we come to Daniel 7, we come to a chapter and we come really to a section of this book that is full of symbols. If you've read ahead at all, you've seen that. It almost reads like a fantasy novel in many ways. Things that point to a reality that's beyond themselves, things that Can't exist in real life, or at least shouldn't, as we read about the beast today. And Daniel, in his accounting of his visions, presents us even with these small details in the text. And it might be tempting to grab a hold of each one and try to squeeze every bit of meaning out of them. And while each detail is important... Don't get me wrong, they're completely important because there's God's word, they're God's words to us, they're God's words for us. If we aren't careful, we will easily miss the big picture of the text. And if you miss the big picture, none of the details really even matter. They just become noise. Just something else that can attempt to separate us from the truth of God's word for us. So as we come to this text, we'll see a picture of two kingdoms. We're gonna see a whole lot more than that. But ultimately, we're going to see two kingdoms that have one king, one throne, two warring factions, but only one who's victorious. And I'll spoil the ending. Christ is victorious. And it's crucial that we walk away from today with that understanding, not just today, but every day. So as we come to the text, we'll consider it based on a couple of points. First, the dominion of the beast. And then secondly, the dominion of the Son. With that, let's look together at the text. Daniel chapter 7 in its entirety. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Daniel 7, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in the bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up up the great sea and the four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another, like a leopard with four wings of before which three of the first horns were plucked up by its roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came forth out of him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and the body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. And as the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And he came as, and to him was given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom, and all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which is which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was within me, was anxious, and the visions in my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, so he told me and made known to me an interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up. And before which three of them fell, and the horn had eyes and a mouth, and spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, it shall devour the whole earth. And trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of the, this kingdom shall ten kings arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former and put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand. And for a time, times and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I know that was quite a chunk, but I think this all should be taken together. Like I said, we will be looking at verses 13 and 14 concerning this idea of the Son of Man next week. But just for a bit of context, the last several weeks we've been going through the book of Daniel, learning about the events of his life in Babylon. We started when he was a young man and he was taken into captivity, and at this point... In the story, he's a little bit older. At the end of the story, we read last week about him being thrown into the the lion's den. He was quite a bit older, still in captivity, but he was distinguished amongst his leaders, the Babylonians and even the other captives. The Lord's command to the people of Israel at this time, through the prophet Jeremiah, was to seek the welfare of the city to which you have been sent into exile. We read that in Jeremiah 29. And Daniel... Did that to the highest degree. Sought the welfare of the city that he was in. Serves as an example in that regard when it comes to our own sojourn in this strange land that we travel upon. As we come to Daniel 7, we enter into a different portion of the book. It's full of Daniel's visions. Things the Lord had been showing him in dreams and in visions. And even though this book seems to shift dramatically away from these stories that we can understand to things that we really have a hard time understanding, it really doesn't shift that much. While we aren't getting into a narrative account of the events any longer, we are still gaining an understanding concerning the God of those events, His plan for His people. Remember, we studied Revelation not too many years ago, though I guess it's more than I remember. Remember the opening words of that book. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We talked about how Revelation wasn't just a book for people not yet born, but it was also a book for the church then, for the first century church, for their blessing. For their edification, what would it help them if it was written to them, but not for them? I mean, imagine it would be like giving someone a letter and saying, I want you to read this, but it's for your great-great-grandchildren. You won't even understand it. It's going to be for their blessing, not yours. But you can go ahead and read it now if you'd like. They're the ones that are finally going to understand it, not you. So when it comes to Daniel 7, and the rest of this book, and the whole book, and the rest of the Bible for that matter, understand that it was for the people of the day that it was written in. This was for people in Daniel's day. It was also for people in Jesus' day, which is sometime to come. It was the people in Paul and Peter's day as they read this book and studied it and even preached it as the gospel of God. It's for us today. No different than it was for them then. Just like Revelation Daniel is to be a blessing. It was to be a blessing then, it is to be a blessing now, and it should be one for us. Our reading of it, in, in our reading of it, we should consider that as our base presupposition. That this is to bless us. That this is to build us up. Rather than hanging on all the minute details and even tripping over them. Let us consider how we should be blessed by this text. Even let us seek that out, which ultimately points us to Christ. That brings us to the first point, the dominion of the beast. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. The first year Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold... The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So he's laying in bed at night. He sees these visions. He promptly writes them down. He says, and he he says, I wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. He sounds like a man that I would really enjoy talking to. Very succinct in his words. As we made sure to note Daniel's description, This, this is the sum of the matter. Why is that important? Well, they don't, that doesn't leave a lot of room for us to add our own things. Well, Daniel, if you could just consider this, then it could possibly be the sum of the matter. So it doesn't need any additions. definitely doesn't need us to create those additions. Another thing I think that needs to be said, particularly as we go forward in the rest of this book, you might be having dreams about this kind of thing, but they're not dreams and visions from the Lord in that they're like He gave to Daniel, like this kind of dream and vision that should be written down for the people for all time to be encouraged and taught by. God chose people to dream dreams of revelation like we see here that Daniel was given this as God's word. We see this in the New Testament as well as the Old. He is no longer doing so because we are no longer receiving that kind of revelation. God can speak to you through his current revelation which is contained in the words of the Bible. But he isn't giving you or anyone else special revelation any longer. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. But he begins with this description, and you can read forward there up to verse 8. There's four beasts. There's this lion eagle beast. There's a bear, which was really simple, I thought, compared to the other ones. A four-headed winged leopard. And a big beast with iron teeth, ten horns, and a little horn that has eyes and talks. Now, I've had some dreams over the course of my life, but never anything like this before. I can't even fathom having a dream like this or what it would even look like. And after this, he sees the Ancient of Days, which we're going to get to in the next point. But here I want to focus on the interpretation of these beasts that Daniel sees. Daniel wanted an interpretation Of these beasts. Verses 15 and 16. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. How could it not be? And the visions in my head alarmed me. Of course they did. So what did he do? He would do the same thing we want to do. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he made, made, and so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. So he was concerned. This is a troubling kind of thing. For me it would be troubling because I have a certain kind of responsibility to this text, right? To, to teach it correctly. But for Daniel, being a prophet of the Lord, being, being tasked with writing down God's Word for the people of God for all time, this would be really hard. Of course he's anxious and alarmed. He's tasked with taking this message to the exiled people of God. How much would a bunch of strange beasts rising up out of a heavenly ocean help them? One of the heavenly attendants answers him. Verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. They're kings. This isn't a real new idea to us reading through the book of Daniel, right? We had a statue earlier that was supposed to have been four kingdoms and Nebuchadnezzar represented the head of gold and then we were the other ones we can only really speculate about. We could start getting into the weeds here, right? Talking about the different beasts. Which kings are they? Many believe that the eagle-lion thing was... That was made to stand like a man and given the mind of a man was actually represented Nebuchadnezzar himself because of that humiliation that he suffered, right? That he was made to be a man. Well, Nebuchadnezzar himself was made to be like a beast. And so it's kind of the the opposite thing going on there. From there, we could just make correlations between... The bear and maybe the Medo-Persian Empire and the the flying leopard, many think, could be Greece because of the way that it quickly went out and conquered the known world. The fourth empire is many people believe to be the Roman Empire. Good arguments, even read several, could be made suggesting that the bear and the leopard are actually the Medes, then the Persians, and that the Greek empire is actually the fourth beast but the little horn being actually a man that they named to be Antiochus Epiphanes. I'll mention him in just a moment. This little horn that talks, this is different than what we'd expect. A beast having horns is not that strange to us, but a little horn that has eyes and talks is really different. Hopefully that's different for you. So much so that Daniel asked about this fourth beast specifically. Verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints until the Ancient of Days came and the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And thus he said, as for the fourth, and so he was wondering about this fourth beast. And so this angel goes into a little bit more detail concerning the fourth beast, right? That he's the fourth kingdom of the earth and goes on. And as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different than the former ones and shall put down the three kings. He, being that that little horn, shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And so, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand. They, the saints, for a time, times, and a half a time. So there's a lot going on here. He's going to wear out the saints. He's going to change the laws, and even for a time, the saints of God will be given into his hand. Some have suggested, as I said, that this is the historical figure Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek ruler and ruled in a very specific time of Jewish history when the Jewish people were under Greek rule and authority and then the Jewish people rose up against that authority and that's recorded in the apocryphal books of the Maccabees and you have this Maccabean revolt and the Jewish people freed themselves from that and Antiochus was supposedly poisoned but we know obviously the Maccabean books aren't canon but they do tell us a story of that actual event that took place in history and this was before Rome came in. Others suggest that this little horn is the Man of sin, spoken of in the New Testament. The Antichrist himself is mentioned several times throughout the New Testament. And here we are in the weeds talking about flying leopards and talking little horns. Do you see what we could do here, church? Trust me when I say that what I have presented to you is just one inch of depth into the deep trenches of the apocryphal ocean of Daniel. If you wanted to read all the possible interpretations of the beasts of Daniel 7, you could start reading now and you would never finish this side of heaven because new new books are constantly being published. You would just never really even find the end. It's like getting on a treadmill. There's so much out there. And the the posed the questions that are being posed, you know what is the little horn? What are the all the stuff and the possible interpretations of those things aren't necessarily bad things. It's not wrong to wonder what these things are. Why are the wings plucked of the eagle lion? Why are there only 3 ribs in the bear's mouth? Couldn't a bear fit more ribs in his mouth? What are the what are the names of the 4 heads on the jaguar? What are those or who are those 10 horns or those 10 kings and who are the 3 that the that the little horn took out plucked up from the roots Daniel had these questions he wanted to know more the answer he was given had nothing to do with all these specifics because these specifics aren't important to the main thrust of the text Look with me at 17 and 18 So Daniel asked him about this, 17 and 18. These four beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. Just in case we don't get forever, forever and ever. They shall possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. But what about the fourth beast and the little horn that talks and the metal teeth and the bronze claws and all the business? Well, let's go to 26 and 27. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion, the little horn, shall be taken away to be, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms of the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. These beasts don't stand a chance when it comes to the Ancient of Days, the Most High God who sits in judgment over beasts and arrogant little horns. And that's the point we should be getting from this, that ancient of days who calls a people for Himself out of the world, in order to rule with Him for all eternity as His sons and daughters. If we get up, if we get caught up about ribs and bears' mouths and flying leopards, we will totally miss that, or worse. We might think of it as that part about the Most High ruling and the Most High being in charge and His saints ruling with Him. We might look at that and think, yeah, 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 I get that. That's true, I get it. But now let's get to the more important stuff. Let's talk about little horns and big horns and leopard wings and stuff like that instead of talking about God and His people forever. We might just gloss over the redemption of these ones called saints. Where did they come from? If we got hung up with those who are coming out of the sea for only a moment, to be destroyed in the next moment. This world, brothers and sisters, is our current residence. Like Daniel, we should seek the prosperity of the city that we are in We have families and we should have families and we should raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We should live and work and enjoy the life that we have here because it is a life and a blessing that we have from the Lord. And though we are ruled by strange beasts, they are not the true king. And though little horns will rise up and say things because that's what little arrogant horns do. They do not have the words of life. We can only find them from one, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the next point, the dominion of the Son. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took His seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. The Ancient of Days is God himself sitting on his throne in his courtroom in judgment against the beasts, against this little horn, speaking words against him, and in one swift move, Those things are judged and removed as if they never were. But we had clues leading up to this point concerning God's influence before He actually came down and sat in His throne of judgment over them. I mean, just look at the descriptions that we have leading up to this point in the text. We have winds that stirred up a great ocean. Where did these things come from? We have a first beast, this lion-eagle thing that has wings. And then I looked, its wings were plucked off. Who did that? It was lifted up. Who did that? It was made to stand, and it was given a mind. Who did those things? Behold, another beast, the bear, it was told to arise, devour much flesh. Who said that? Who gave dominion to the flying leopard in verse 6? We know the answer to these questions. This is not a new question either. As Jesus told Pontius Pilate, as Jesus stood in judgment, or in their judgment, as he told Pontius Pilate, the governor of the great beast at the time, Rome, Jesus said, you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above the ancient of days is the sovereign god over the whole thing the one who causes the beast to rise up out of the sea and causes them to fall down and to be burned in the fire the one who causes the little horn the little horn to grow and to lead and the one who takes that leadership away in an instant if we get caught up in the concern and confusion over the appearance and actions of these beasts we might miss the true mover in all of this. And notice too, the Ancient of Days is not alone in His work. There's one that comes from Him. Verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. It's one like the Son of Man. He's presented to the Ancient of Days. He's given this everlasting kingdom that will not pass away. And understand that no one is taking these kingdoms away from this Son of Man because they are inherently His for all time. Sure, it may seem like a beast here or there has been able to perhaps take a portion of that kingdom for themselves, But those kingdoms don't actually stop being the kingdom of the Son of Man because what are those? They're everlasting kingdoms. Everlasting is this nonstop, continual, forever kind of thing. The Son of Man here is speaking, of course, of our Lord Jesus. How do we know? Well, Jesus referred to himself many times as the Son of Man. He didn't make that up. He knew Daniel 7. He's well aware of these words because he spoke them. Next week, we're going to be looking at these two verses in particular, as I want to spend time looking at the use of the Son of Man in the Gospels. But for our time in Daniel, the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus, who was, who is, and who is to come, has a kingdom who, that will not pass away. And the people for himself that will rule with him in that kingdom. How do we know? Well, verse 18. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days come, and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. It came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 27. The kingdom and the dominion of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. These saints, or these holy ones is similar to the use in the New Testament, are holy people. How are they holy? Who are they? We know from the teachings of the Bible that no one is holy in and of themselves, that all have sinned. Even from our mother's wombs we are considered sinful. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, who are these ones that are called holy? Well, they have been made holy because they have been redeemed by the work of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself and in doing that he gave them the right as we read in john chapter one to be called sons and daughters of god we are called joint heirs with jesus in romans chapter eight while the son of man is the everlasting son the owner of the kingdoms who has everlasting dominion his people the church are those whom he has called to rule that kingdom alongside him because of his resurrection from the dead the son of man has been in in the son in the son of man we because of the resurrection of christ have been given that same promise that death will not be our end that we will all die but we will still live for all eternity death is but the beginning of the eternal reign that we will have with christ in heaven So hear this, brothers and sisters, while the world is where we live and the beasts of this earth currently rule us, throughout church's history there have been beasts and their little horns have sought to destroy us over and over. They have not. They will not. They do not win. They cannot win. Because we have an everlasting kingdom. Because of the work of the Son, we have the guarantee of that everlasting dominion, the hope for eternal life that doesn't rise and fall with the beasts of this world, but is as sure as the seat on which the ancient of days sits. His throne is unmoved, so we too, brothers and sisters in Christ, are unmoved. That doesn't mean that we can't be shaken. Daniel was shaken by his vision. In fact, he's even shaken after he's being shown. After he was given the interpretation. Right? At the very end. Verse 28. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. He was shaken. But he persevered in this life. He persevered in his life, but that doesn't mean that his life was easy. Just read the book, right? His his life was difficult. It's far from easy. And it's because his perseverance wasn't grounded in the the, the ebbs and flows of his life, but it's grounded in the sovereign God of the universe. His perseverance isn't grounded in a lack of anxiety, if I can just stop being anxious about the things that are happening or are going to happen or may never happen, then perhaps I can persevere in my faith. No. His perseverance was grounded in the ancient of days, in the work of Christ, not His own. And so for, for you here, for those of you here who are an unbeliever, if that's you... Your hope is not in Christ. In fact, your hope is likely in one of the beasts of this world. Or it may just be in yourself who's dead in their trespasses and their sins. Rather than trust in a beast or trust in yourself for that matter whose dominion is but for a time, call upon the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. Call upon the Lord today and be saved. For the church here today, stop trusting in eagle lions and flying leopards and whatever else to save you. They cannot. They've been judged. Their dominion has an end date. It has an end date. It's sometime soon. All of them. Rather than trusting in the leaders of this world, trust again in Christ, whose dominion is everlasting. Seek the welfare of this city and do so Primarily by telling them about the one whose kingdom is not passing away. Let's go to him in prayer.